In the beginning was the world. See, you think uh, religion is for suckers and easy marks and mollycoddles, huh? It's just you think Jesus is some kind of a sissy, eh? Jesus had guts! Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Norman McLaughlin from Northern Ireland. He's got a beautiful accent. And uh, he's part of Open Doors, which is an incredible ministry, which we're going to find out a little bit about uh, shortly, about the persecuted church and the great ministry they do. Now, uh, Norman's got a fantastic family background and upbringing. So why don't we just start with a little bit of your story. So you, you were brought up in Northern Ireland and uh, attended a Presbyterian church. Tell me what life was like for you. Yep. Well, in Northern Ireland, uh, the Protestant community is predominantly Presbyterian, church-going, and, and probably really the church in Northern Ireland is probably the strongest church in Western Europe, uh, I would imagine. So I was brought up in a, pres- a country Presbyterian church. Uh, my mum's side of the family, my mum are, Christian, uh, are Christians, my dad is not, but I was brought up in a Christian home. And going to that church every week, although there were many people in the church who weren't believers as such, um, who didn't have a living faith, we heard the gospel just about every week. And so I remember one uh, evening service when I was eight years old. We had a special speaker there for the Children's Day service. And he uh, led us in a prayer of commitment and then said, if you've prayed that prayer, go and tell someone. And I think I prayed the prayer and maybe or maybe didn't tell my mum, I'm not sure. But then, uh, so at the age of eight, I made that first commitment. Although really then through when I got into school, teenage years and everything else, I really probably drifted and didn't want to be seen to be a Christian. But then in those later years, I uh, made one or two really good friends who were Christians when I was like 16, 17, 18, was really drawn to something in them. And at the age of 18, I made the decision to give my life to the Lord and to follow Jesus with with all my heart. And did everyone notice the change in your life? I think they probably did, because then when I made that decision at 18, it was a, I am upfront about this decision, unlike when I was eight, when it was a little bit quiet about it, yeah. I think it was something that was between school and university. So it was a transitional period in my life anyway. And so when I went on to university, I had a lot of different friends who hadn't known me before anyway. And you developed a taste for missions at an early age. Tell us uh, how you got into that. Well, actually, it was really a one uh, particular event I went to run by Youth for Christ in Northern Ireland. It was called Mission Fest. I was 20. Went along, it was a Saturday day conference where they had seminars, uh, presentations through the afternoon and a celebration in the evening. And during that day, they uh, they presented what was happening in mission in each part of the world. And one part of the world stood out for me as the most neglected, and that was the Muslim world. Uh, the most neglected and the most scary, with the, mo- the fewest number of people serving there in missions. And at the end of that day, we had to just fill in a little piece of paper saying, I will do whatever the Lord calls me to do. I filled in that piece of paper. Uh, at the time I was studying to be an engineer and I went on with my degree, but filled in that piece of paper, began to pray for ministries and missions and for the Muslim world and those difficult countries. And uh, really that's been with me ever since. And you're just telling me before, so you know, you, were, you got a job and uh, every time you went on holidays, you'd basically do a mission trip. <laughs> Tell us what, you know, what kind of trips did you do back then? Well, you know, through that was through the 90s when I was working in industry. And yeah, I would go off on trips uh, during the holidays. I would always be looking for somewhere different to go, uh, not the usual holiday destinations. Uh, I would be um, going on mission trips, ministry trips, prayer trips. Of course, the part of the world we're talking about here is not a part of the world where you can overtly go in and do ministry. So, And at times I would just travel. Uh, 
in the mid-90s, I, I, on one particular trip, I got a backpack and I just went to Syria on my own and travelled around in Syria on my own. And that was a, a, an incredible experience because so often we have a perception of what those sort of countries will be like. And you go there and you get blown away by a completely different perspective. And I went there and I can honestly say the people in that country treated me as if I was a guest in their country. They're very community focused, very hospitable people. And I was getting invited to people's homes. People were making food for me. And I think they were, were probably thinking this, this poor fellow is on his own in our country. We need to look after him. So it was a, it was a wonderful experience. And I stayed one night in a village with a family. And they spoke good English. We could communicate well. And uh, it was a, an incredible experience. Lots of other trips as well. And then eventually uh, met my wife, Ellen, um, 10 years ago now, uh, taking Bibles into China with Open Doors as a volunteer at that time. And she's Dutch. She's Dutch. <laughs> so you're an Irishman who uh, went to China, met a Dutchman, got married, and now you live a in Dutch Australia. <laughs> a Dutch woman. <laughs> Not a Dutch that is Dutch correct, woman. <laughs> yes. I went, I went around the world, halfway around the world to meet my wife, and now we live the other side of the world as well. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Now, I did read a book years ago uh, by Brother Andrew uh, about Open Doors. Uh, tell us about what is Open Doors all about for those who don't know. Yeah, well, that book you read was, was more than likely God's Smuggler. That's the one. Uh, the story of Brother Andrew who... Uh, uh, began the ministry. Well, when he began, I'm, I'm not sure he thought he was beginning a ministry. He was just obeying the call of God, which at that time to him, having visited, first of all, Poland and Eastern Europe, he heard the call of God to strengthen to, uh, what remains and was about to die. He began with a Volkswagen Beetle, driving back and forward across Europe, filling it up with Bibles, taking those Bibles across those closed borders into communist Eastern Europe to provide Bibles for the churches that were struggling there. So the book God Smuggler came out in the 60s. Um, Brother Andrew had been going for a number of years. People had joined him. Then he began and the ministry began to expand and move into China, uh, Latin America and the Muslim world. Uh, today we focus a great deal on the Muslim world because really that is where uh, we work with persecuted Christians and that is where the persecution is fiercest and, and is growing and increasing. Um, but the one thing I have to say that I'm always so encouraged to see that it's a part of the world where more people are coming to Christ than ever before. And we see wonderful and exciting things happening in that part of the world. Now, um, in the West, it's hard for us to comprehend you. Like, I've got several Bibles lying around my home, uh, some of them gathering dust, some of them I do read. <laughs> um, you know, I've got Bible apps on my iPhone, my iPad. You know, I, I use BibleGateway.com on the Internet. Um, the Bible's easy and accessible for me. Uh, how important is it uh, for these communities you go to to receive the Word of God? Yeah, you know, it's incredible because let's say that, for example, you are in a closed Islamic country of the Middle East. Um, I took a group from Ireland into one of those countries three years ago to deliver scriptures in a language of the local people that was not permitted for them to have. And if you can imagine, you've come to Christ perhaps through some miraculous means, perhaps through a dream or a vision, or you've uh, read something on the internet or something has come to you and what you want more than anything is a Bible so that you can understand about your faith about Jesus, so that you can get the bigger picture of, of to understand what it is that you've come to know. Um, in Open Doors, we've become, uh, you know, it began with delivering Bibles, then it began, then we began to train leaders and disciple and train people in difficult situations and underground churches. And so, in some of those countries, there's the need for scriptures, there's the hunger for scriptures, and then there's the need to help the people to understand the Word of God and to grow in their faith and to establish local churches even where those local churches are underground in really difficult places. And tell me, um, you know, when you go into these countries, uh, you know, are you risking life and limb? Like, can you get 
busted and locked up, tortured for this kind of thing? Most of our work in the countries is done by the local contacts and the local church contacts. So we work on the ground with networks of local people. And for someone like me going in, they would not be sending me into one of the most high-risk places. So the really high-risk places, you've got to be very, very careful, very security-sensitive. And so the local work into those countries would be done by those who know the, the situation on the ground, who have trusted contacts that they have and who know exactly what they're doing. Mm, mm. And have you ever been in danger personally? Like, have you ever been, um, you know, locked up or you know? Abused? I haven't. I've no. I've had a few um, situations that have happened um, um, that might be uh, a little bit scary. Uh, certainly, been um, you know one one time in Tunisia, which is one of the more open Islamic countries. We were visited by the police, had our passports and things confiscated, and for a number of days were followed by secret police. I've uh, been in Iraq a number of years ago with, at least in theory, um, a bounty on my head for all foreign aid workers at that time. That was after the first Gulf War. Uh, so, you know, these things happen. But the one thing I would say is when you go into these places and you visit them, you never really think about it Because usually the situation on the ground, once you're inside, doesn't feel as scary as it might be when you think about it from the outside. But for us, the main priority is that we would protect the security of the local people. And always we are um, uh, keen to make sure that whatever we do, the local people will not get in trouble because we can go in and out. And the worst thing that would usually happen to someone like me would be to be refused entry to a country or thrown out. But for the local people, depending on where they are, they can be imprisoned, they can be beaten, they could be tortured, um, they could be killed in some cases. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about Ethiopia in a moment, but first I just want to stop in China for a minute. You, you've been there. Uh, I read uh, Brother Yun's book, The Heavenly Man. And, uh, you know, there's one story there he tells where, um, you know, he was memorizing the scriptures in prison and uh, he was getting a sheet of paper with a, with a, you know, one page of the Bible and then the guard would find it and he'd lose it and then he'd get another sheet, you know, and they'd smuggle in a sheet of the Bible at a time. And incredible miracles, you know. Um, tell me, how has things changed in China? They say it's the world's biggest revival that we've ever seen in yes. China. Yes, well, you know, it's such a phenomenal growth of the church that you can't put numbers on it. I mean, uh, it it's probably now well in excess of 100 million believers, which really, when you think about it, is pretty close to one in 10 of the population. And there is still persecution in localized areas, particularly more in the rural areas where the the local authorities may clamp down. But by and large, the church has become so strong that the government can't ignore it and they can't keep it down. And so we're now seeing a situation in China where the Chinese church is becoming so strong and there's still a great need for teaching and scriptures for many of them, but they're becoming so much stronger that they're almost in a position where they're going to be able to turn around and be a blessing to the rest of the world. So rather than being a place of persecution where they need our help, that they can turn that right around and return to the rest of the world the blessing they've received in recent years. Mm. I've heard a couple of stories recently. Um, Pastor Wayne Cadero from New Hope Hawaii uh, went and taught there uh, to about 25 house church leaders. And he asked them the question, uh, how many churches do you oversee? And they counted up, and it was about 20 million between them. <laughs> and you just think, wow. <laughs> and uh, he said that, you know, they spent eight hours sitting on a hard wooden floor without air conditioning. Some of them had traveled days. Uh, some of them had been locked up for at least 15 years for preaching the gospel. And uh, he said that they, whenever he quoted a scripture, um, they didn't even need to bring out their Bibles because they knew it. 
they had memorized um, chapters and chapters of the Bible because they'd had to, because <laughs> they couldn't keep their own Bibles. Um, but of course, now things have changed. You know, there's a printing press. Uh, that's printed over, I think, over 100 million Bibles now uh, in China. And uh, it was on the ABC uh, Foreign Correspondent recently. I saw the article. Um, the, the other great story was uh, that there was uh, the police were trying to clamp down on a church that was meeting, I think, in Beijing. And uh, they bust, like everyone that arrived for church, they bust them away to detention centers. And you know what they were doing on the bus? They were singing praise songs. <laughs> they were worshipping Jesus, like Paul and Silas in prison. Uh, just yeah, amazing. Okay, so China is is one place where Open Doors is obviously involved. What about Ethiopia? You've just been there recently. Tell us yeah. about that trip. You know, Ethiopia wouldn't strike you right away as one of the most persecuted countries, and it's not really. But in certain areas of Ethiopia, um, particularly the Muslim areas where churches have been planted, those churches can really have it tough. And we were visiting families and churches that had suffered in recent the last couple of years. But probably the most standout one was uh, an incident that happened in March of this year where there was a rampage where a whole mob of Muslim people came through and burned to the ground about 40 churches in a particular area. Some people's homes as well. People were left with nothing. Uh, no food to eat in the days afterwards. Absolutely nothing. Uh, and uh, you know, they told us that it just came like a wave of people descending on their villages. And they said as the men came through and they burned the churches, the women were singing and celebrating what was happening. So we visited those burned out churches. We visited those believers and we would meet with them and they would gather together and tell us their stories and what had happened. And one after the other would tell us, this is what happened to me. And we saw in them such a Christ-like response. You know, never one word of bitterness but simply we want to take the gospel to these people who did this. And probably for me, one of the most moving things was after uh, sitting with one of these churches and sharing together and praying together and uh, them telling us their stories and us encouraging them, they began to sing and they began to worship the Lord. And I can tell you that the hairs on the back of your neck would stand up when you would ju- were just there and they began to worship the Lord and there was a spirit of joy in a place where they've been uh, had their play, had their homes and their their churches burned to the ground, and they're not even sure that it's over; it could happen again. And yet there they were, rejoicing in the Lord with smiles on their faces, and it was a, an absolute privilege to be there with those people. There's something about um, when you see persecuted believers worshiping. Uh, you know, uh, I've I've done a couple of mission trips to Cambodia, and uh, you know, it's funny over there. Uh, you know, they're the poorest of the poor. They've been through the whole Pol Pot regime. There's, you know, the co- country was devastated. And, uh, you know, we went over there and they were singing Hillsong songs. You, you know, yeah. that's the church you're a part of. They're, they're there singing Shout to the Lord and, yeah. and, uh, it, it's in, the, in their own, you know, language. But, um, there's something about, uh, you know, and, and then I came back to Australia and I just didn't know what to do with myself. I, I remember the day I arrived back from Cambodia um, after seeing two weeks of poverty and persecution, all that stuff, and I was sitting outside of Woolworths watching all these rich Aussies going in and buying stuff, and, and I just I, I wanted to stand up and yell out, yeah. there are people around the world that need That's that right. money. Why don't you go and help? You know, like I, I wanted to do it. I, I, yeah. I didn't. I just bit my tongue. But yeah. um, do you get that same... Holy discontent in you when you come back from a place oh, like yeah. Ethiopia. Yeah, and, and you know, when you go and you meet people who are suffering for their faith and are standing and enduring and yeah. following Jesus and continuing to love the people who do it to them, yeah. Yeah. I have to say that to me that is faith in action. Yeah. That is genuine faith in action. And I come back and I think, goodness, we've got some sort of a 
half-baked Christianity here that we're living out. And these people are put in tough situations. They're put right on the edge. They're forced to make choices we don't, we'll probably never have to make. And, you know, we go to encourage them. But we're the ones who come back blessed and encouraged yeah. when we hear their stories and see their their lives. And the fact that materially speaking, they don't have anything like what we have. They don't have the securities around them that we have, but they have Jesus. Yeah. And they have an understanding of Jesus and their faith in him that we we often don't have. Yeah. In fact, most of the time, I think, speaking personally, don't have. Yeah. yeah. Now, for those listening that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that haven't become a Christian, uh, that might want to do that. Would you speak to them? Yeah, well, to me, you know, you've got these people around the world who can have an easy life by choosing to, to go with the flow, but they choose to go against the flow by choosing to follow Jesus and give their, give their lives to him. And, you know, when you see them and you see the hope that's in their hearts and the life they have and the love that they have, you think these people have got something. So if you don't know Jesus and you're not a Christian today, I would say this is the best uh, and the most exciting and the most dynamic and the most adventurous step you can ever take in your life. You know, I talked earlier about when I came to Christ at the age of eight and didn't want to be too upfront about it because people saw it as boring when you're a Christian. And I can say working with the persecuted church and seeing faith in action, it's not boring. It's the most exciting life you can have. So give your life to Jesus today and let him take you on a journey and on an adventure that you will, it'll be an experience, it'll be a bit of a ride and you don't know what's coming, but it'll be worth it. And in the end, we go to eternity to be together with all those brothers and sisters from around the world who've suffered, and we worship Jesus together. Mm, That's good news, mate. And uh, if you have just been stirred by that and you'd like to respond, uh, just go to the website, historymakersradio.com, and we've got an online resources page there with different links to different websites you can go to. And, uh, you know, I encourage you to, you know, go and find a Bible-believing church. Go and um, tell someone that you, you, you've just become a Christian or you want to become a Christian and uh, you'll be amazed at the uh, the exciting adventure and journey that uh, your life will take from that moment on. And uh, Norman, if people want to get more involved with Open Doors, they yes. can donate, they can you know offer to be a volunteer, That's serve. Right. You know, What's the best website for them to go to? Yeah, we'd love people to be engaged with the persecuted church, both for the benefit of the persecuted people and for their own benefit as well. The best website, our main website here in Australia is opendoors.org.au. Okay, mate. Well, I reckon you're a history maker, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. God bless. If you'd like to download this interview, just go to www.historymakersradio.com. And also, you can make a donation if you'd like. I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week. History Makers. History Makers.